I'm Crystal Escobar, and this is episode number 86, Embracing the Unknown with Margie Dillon. Welcome to the Mormon Enlightenment Podcast, hosted by Wannabe Balanced. My name is Crystal Escobar. And I'm Sean Escobar. This podcast started out as a self-help podcast for moms and has transformed into a documentation of our journey out of Mormonism. Our goal is to make it safe for others to live their authentic life, break free from social norms and limiting beliefs, and inspire others to courageously share their truth. In February 2018, Sean published a recording between him and the man who sexually abused him as a child. This man was the director of the most recent Temple Endowment video, and the story was featured on the front page of the New York Times. Sean has become a powerful advocate for victims of sexual abuse. Crystal founded the Wannabe Balance brand in 2010 and recently published her first book. Now we have decided to partner up and grow this special post-Mormon community. We want people to feel safe to follow their hearts, even if that means leaving one's lifelong religion. Not only should they feel safe to leave, they should be able to do so with their dignity intact. Hey everyone, welcome back. I took a couple weeks off from the podcast, but I am back and ready to go. I just wanted to quickly give an introduction to the conversation I just had with Margie Delin. Oh my gosh, I just love that woman. We just had a really beautiful conversation about, uh, it really applies to a lot of what we're going through right now. And I think everything that we're experiencing right now with the coronavirus can actually very much apply to our whole faith transition and leaving the church because so much is changing. I, I really wanted to pick Margie's brain about the different emotions that I believe many of us are experiencing right now. We talked a lot about grief and, you know, grieving the loss of our old life, which is very much the same as, like I said, with a faith transition, because everything is changing. I know a lot of us are thinking like, when things get back to normal, when things get back to normal, but what if things just never get back to normal per se, you know, like the normal that we once knew is no longer our reality. We talked a lot about, you know, transitioning into a new normal, but also finding so much beauty and peace as we experience so much change and uncertainty. Margie Dillon has very much played a part in all the things that John does and they even have their own separate podcast together that they also co-host with Natasha Helfer Parker. And that podcast is called The Gift of the Mormon Faith Crisis. And I highly recommend it. She is a certified life coach and has been really helping so many people through their own faith transition. And the things that she likes to focus on is you know, not necessarily just a faith transition, but more so a life transition, which involves a religion, death or a loss, divorce, illness, empty nest syndrome, and how they impact marriage, parenting, identity, family relationships, and one's ability to find a renewed sense of purpose. So I love everything that Margie is all about and all that she contributes to the healing of so many She also runs a blog called Beauty in the Now, 
You can find it at beautyinthenow.org. And she posts regularly on there, sharing her beautiful insights. And I seriously look forward to all the things that she shares. She is just such a beautiful woman inside and out. And she always reminds me to remain in the present moment. And she's so good about connecting with nature. And that's something that I'm definitely striving to do more of these days. So Margie Dillon is just such an inspiration. And I am just going to go ahead and play our conversation right now. I feel like this topic can go any direction and I want it to feel free to flow wherever it goes. And the reason why I wanted to talk about, you know, like grieving the loss of the old and accepting change and all that, because I think it really, I love to tie in everything that we're going through right now with the coronavirus, but also apply it to what many of us have or are still experiencing as as we've left the church. And even me, like two years later, there's still certain things that I feel like I'm still going through, like a grieving process of grieving the loss of the way things were. And I think that happens, you know, throughout our lives anyway. So it's not Mm -hmm. just (laughs) about leaving a religion and missing certain things or just wishing that, you know, at times, sometimes I feel like things were more simple then. And now you've, you've opened up the box and there's just so many things that to consider and think about um, when it comes to my beliefs. And even um, I think most recently in uh, Sean and I did an episode on this talking about our our new beliefs and our differences um, and trying to come together with those. Yeah. And, and sometimes I get frustrated, you know, that we have such different opinions and beliefs. And sometimes I think maybe I'm like, oh, I wish we could just go back to when we both believed. Yes. But we're working through it. And, you know, we, I love how we grow closer through the process, but when I'm going through like more of an intense part of it where we're trying to um, share our different beliefs and opinions and we're still operating in a space of, well, I'm right, you know, (laughs) and that is a hard thing to step away from. So I would love to hear your input on all that and like maybe what your experience was like in the beginning and um, navigating those types of things. Sure. Absolutely. Let's just go for it. Yeah. So tell me about your experience in the beginning and and what did you have a really um well for for you guys, do you have differences in beliefs and opinions or have you guys come together because it's been a lot longer for you guys, but have you worked through a lot of that or was were, was there a time where you were both kind of feeling like you're going in opposite directions when it comes to your beliefs and then you kind of feel a little bit of fear like oh my gosh like what is this for our marriage you know but yeah. I feel like Sean and I have worked through a lot of that but like I said when we were going through more and it's been more recent where we've been dealing with this particular thing yeah but we've worked through it and we just really it takes a lot of personal growth because you have to get to a place where you can hear other people's opinions and beliefs and you have released the desire to influence them and their opinions and beliefs to be more in alignment with what you want to believe. So tell me how that work has worked for you and, and how you, how, how you handled that in the beginning. 
Absolutely. Well, first off, can I just say that this is a completely natural thing that comes up with couples and it did with John and I. And when we work with couples, the first thing I love to do is just say, hey, this makes sense, right? Because anytime we feel fear or vulnerability, what we tend to default to is programming. And what I mean by programming is kind of the, our experiences, our wounds, the things we were taught over and over again. And we can even rationally now feel, we, we think differently. We, if you asked us questions, we wouldn't, but on, I mean, on a, on a level, we react emotionally still. So we're divorced. We, yes, we may in our heads say differentiation. It's important. It's, you know, and I embrace it. And so Sean and I are going to be different and John and I are different people. And this makes sense. But unfortunately our emotions don't work that way. We don't plug into the rational. It's a different sphere, right? Mm -hmm. So in those moments we're here and what we default to is, it's scary. It's scary to feel different. What does it mean? And when you put with that, that we had years and years of this, you know, uh, thought process of like, what is intimacy? What does success look like? We're the same. We feel the same. We say the same things. We go up in our, in our meetings. And we ex when we express testimony, the things from our heart, they feel very similar. The things that we would bear, you know, so it, it all makes sense. And so it takes time is what I would say. And it takes this level of awareness with your feelings, which is also really difficult. And so the hardest part I think for people is this sense of overwhelm um, that oftentimes hits relationships um, because we're not used to feeling our feelings. <laughs> we had all these band-aids, we had all these things yeah. to put over and divorce ourselves from our feelings. So this is really new, we're like grown adults feeling these things for the first time. And so it's natural to feel overwhelmed. And what John and I have used in those moments is kind of an awareness around our feelings, a the power to pause at any moment. So if I notice I'm activated or I notice the ultimate taking care of our relationship and myself is to say, hmm, I notice I'm starting to feel, you know, activated in this moment or I'm feeling afraid. And so I'm going to just take a minute and we can come back to this in a second or I'll come back to you when I'm feeling. And then I go and I actually take a moment to myself to kind of think what I'm afraid of. What is it that's coming up for me? And sometimes it's as simple as it feels scary to feel different from the person you love. Yeah. This is not how we were like taught to think. And mm -hmm. quite frankly, culturally, we're not, we don't watch movies or like art doesn't really reflect this idea either. So it, we come by it naturally, this discomfort around for the first time kind of feeling like, wow, we're different people. And so what do we do now? What do we do now if we're going to actually feel differently about some things? It does feel, it is very much fear driven because you start to think like, are we growing apart? And you start to think like, it, and it scares you. And then you feel like, well, how do we make it work? How can we still feel connected and stay close with one another if we are in, you know, at some point you just, you just really start to see yourselves growing apart. But I really think that that's stories that we're making up in our head. Because like you said, when you get, you feel yourself feeling the emotions, it would be <laughs> 
beneficial to step away for a while until you both calm back, calm down, and you can come together again. Because when you're in that state of emotion, elevated emotion, you're just thinking all these fearful thoughts. And then you, you're not... Um, your brain starts to create stories and my brain is always creating stories like, Oh my gosh, we're growing apart. Like, and then when you, you know, when I come, I calm down and we come back together, we both come back together. We realize, Oh my gosh, we were, our brain was making up stories and creating all this fear in us and mostly just living in the future thinking, what are we going to be 10, five, 10 years from now if we continue um, with our separate beliefs and, it's funny that you think that we think or somehow we've believed we've believed that if you have different beliefs, then you cannot be connected in your marriage. And I think I'm still trying to navigate that. But what I the one thing that I am learning that has um, kind of put that fire out is learning how to listen and really be open to other people's perspectives because that's something that I never learned to do. <laughs> I'm like, no, our our way is the right way. And and I just always kind of was closed off to other people's opinions. Even though I would listen in the past, I would listen to other people, but I wasn't listening with an open mind. I was just listening like mm-hmm. polite. So to listen with an open mind and to really hear that person out, I've come to understand Sean's point of view and perspective a lot differently than I did initially because I'm like, oh my gosh, you believe that or you think that. And then when I come down and I try to really listen and think of what he's thinking and see things from his perspective, I actually see a lot of similarities still. You know, I see a lot of similarities in the way we believe and the way we think. It's just that we misinterpret and we start creating stories in our head. We're not fully listening with an open mind. And that's where I think we've run into problems. Yes. Yeah. And you're not alone in that. And I do think something that people find beneficial that John and I did early on was to identify common values. So beliefs, I think they have their place and we, we're kind of coming from this place where, um, you know, part of our operating system was how important beliefs were. I'm not going to say, you know, whether they are or not. What I would say is I personally, when I see people live and practice intimacy, values are the players. And I'll tell you why. Like as part of my faith deconstruction, I had this kind of moment of like, wait, beliefs are super, like they're tricky and I hold them loosely even now because I think we all have blind spots and they Mm. don't necessarily inform behavior. Right? right? So I, and an example of that is a person can be a Christian mm-hmm. and believe in the life and power of Christ, let's say, but yell at their kids or scream at people while they're driving or, you know, to, like it doesn't necessarily cross over to a lived value. And that's why, so true. you know, one thing that John and I did, and we're very different people. And if you looked at our lives, the way our lived values, they look really different. So at one point I really felt like this is going to be interesting because we're so different. Like let's sit down and really what, what do we have in common? This was a vulnerable time. Mm -hmm. One of our few vulnerable times, I think in our marriage and what I discovered, and this is a great activity for couples to kind of do is when we sat down, 
our values, actually, we had many, many more common values than not, but the, the look of those values was different. And so that is a beautiful discovery of like what, for example, contribution looks like for me in my life. It's different and the pace is different. And, you know, the balance of the other values in my life is different than John, but we still have that common value, right? Yeah. And so that's, that can be a very grounding exercise amidst kind of, oh, I think oftentimes the instability that arises from you know, this shift, one of the main, like one of the many shifts that we make away from sameness as intimacy to actually healthy differentiation and being healthy individuals in a relationship. The health of the relationship is directly tied to the health of the individuals, right? I love that. Right. Emotionally, you know, wounded and reactive individuals, you are going to make a wounded and emotionally reactive relationship. Mm-hmm. Right. That's so, I love every way that you worded that because it's like we forget the value in the, the fact that we are so different. We forget how beautiful that is. And we're trying to like, we're still trying to fit each other in this little box, you know, like, no, you got to yeah. be this way or, or it's just the fear that you really do believe that if you are not the same and you don't have the same beliefs, then you will grow apart. But you don't, I think it's just this new understanding now that I'm um, starting to see on a deeper level, how beautiful it is to have, to be so different. And also I love how you said you hold your beliefs very loosely, which I also think is a, is a very important thing to do now, which is, is something I'm learning how to do because mm-hmm. um, we cling to our beliefs. We've learned to cling to them like so tightly, but I'm learning how, how um, truth, truth has really taken on a new meaning for me. Mm-hmm. And that's been a hard thing to open my mind up to because I always believed my entire life that there was only one truth and that there is truth and we're all seeking it and we're, we'll all find it and it will all be the same. Yeah. But I'm, it's has been like really mind blowing to, to try to comprehend it, but it's actually been really um, like another level of freedom that I felt like, Oh my gosh, we're not seeking only one truth. Like it is so important that we see that, that mm-hmm. there is no one truth and that that is something that's really hard to comprehend in the beginning and i'm starting to understand it a little bit more and and appreciate it and understand how we are all so different there cannot possibly be one truth and so we just have to allow each person to have their truth and there's no way we're going to convince them of our truth like it's just so individual so i i'm learning that and i I love that. So did you ever feel at one point that you were um, less connected as you guys started to embrace each other's differences and allowed each other to be, to be, um, I don't know, I, I, I hate saying like on different paths because it feels like you're like splitting off and, and separating, but I still think that you can be on different paths, but still feel connected, which is something I'm just barely discovering mm-hmm. with Sean. But did you ever feel that fear like you were not as close, like you didn't have as many 
conversations you couldn't talk about certain things and was that like how did you work through that yeah so definitely i think one of the most painful things to experience for me in life is when i feel like on there are moments when my partner or a loved one is um emotionally far from me and i can't reach them right right mm -hmm. we've had moments like that i think actually if you're married in an active way where it's conscious and you're both really uh working i think it's bound you're bound to have moments like that because we are wired for change in a changing world so we are changing the world is changing and so inevitably we come by our wound work in different at different paces and we have our own journeys to make and so i don't know if you feel this way uh, as a parent too but oftentimes our children are working out things at their own pace and as much as we want to you know, reach in or try to fix it or provide this magic perspective that's gonna, they've gotta, they gotta do it, you know? Mm -hmm. And it has to be theirs. And so it's, it's a lot like that. And I kind of feel like um, for me in those moments, the only thing I could do was to do my own work. So continue to grow, be open, and, and really offer this kind of love that I felt like I, um, for the first time, was exposed to on my own. This unconditional, it's not this small, conditional, controlled love. Mm -hmm. It's this expansive, unconditional, I'll wait for you. I'm here on some level and this is what that will look like but that requires a lot of intention it requires a lot of reframing because we don't come by that naturally and so we are literally creating a blueprint for ourselves and for our marriage that we've never we most likely have never seen we definitely haven't experienced and so i think it's really important to be gentle and with each other with yourself and to start really, um, self-care for me is not fluffy. For me, it's really a lot around wound work, how we treat ourselves when we're feeling scared, when mm -hmm. we're feeling, you know, that sense of fear or um, in those deep places. How do we talk to ourselves? How do we show up for ourselves? You know, how do we reach out and express our voice and our need? Uh, because we are human and we are in relationship and also balance that with the other. This is tricky stuff. It is a life's work, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we're all in it. Yeah. You know? Well, I love how you mentioned the ever changing aspect of life. And it's just, you know, like that's what I feel like right now. Many of us are experiencing, but we're, we're experiencing it on a new level. Like, with a lot more fear because this seems a, like a big jump you know it's not like just gradual changes and this also i think is the same feeling that you have when you first leave the church or mm -hmm. as you um come to these different hurdles after leaving the church you find different uh, roadblocks and you you're like get to this point and you're like oh my gosh <laughs> it's hard now you know it's the but you go through a lot of different things like we've we have worked through so many different 
things over the last two years. But yeah. I think sometimes we start to believe that, okay, we're done. Like we worked through all of it. Like we're great now. Oh my gosh, that was amazing. But then you find like a, like a month later something else comes and you're like, oh, but I just wanted it to be perfect now. And I, we still have this hope and belief that one day we're going to get to this we'll arrive. of marriage or your well-being. You're just going to be so happy and joyful all the time. But it's just something... I don't know if it's just uh, our conditioning as Mormons or just as human beings, we just think and we've just believed that one day we will get to a point where we will no longer struggle. And I think when we um, compare all this to the coronavirus, I think um, I would love to hear like your perspective and some advice or some um, tools or tips that you could give us to help us as we, navigate this new life and grieve the loss of the old because things will never be the same again. And I, I hate saying that too, because it kind of feels a little scary, you know, (laughs) like, ah, really things are never going to be the same, but I think it's such a beautiful thing if we can um, get to that place of allowing and not clinging to the past and not trying to make things the way they were. And be um, in such an open um, state of mind where we're allowing so much newness to come in, which is actually so beautiful and where all the creativity arrives, you know, where, oh my gosh, like this can be very exciting, but it's hard to, um, to not think about the way things were. You know, I know many of people have been affected by this and with their careers or, you know, it just, the list goes on the way people have been affected. And I just hope to provide some type of, you know, comfort and tools and advice for people who are still waiting for things to get back to normal. Maybe we should be excited for what this is bringing and what kinds of new things are about to emerge. Mm, That's such a beautiful framing. I really love that. Um, Yeah, I think for many of us, I mean, uh, on some level, we've had these moments of feeling groundlessness, like a free fall, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think, you know, oftentimes faith transition offers that, where all of a sudden where it it can be that for many children, um, you know, sometimes in their childhood, they had moments like that. But definitely, this is another moment of a, a reminder of truly how fragile we can feel, how groundless, how out of control. And so it's also, it, it's tricky because we've got this situation where it's meta. We've got meta things happening. And so let's, let's talk about financial, the financial insecurity, really large health. All of a sudden, those are actually two of the major things you're asked in like a psychological evaluation or for stress or for, and we've got, the two major players, right, in our lives and how they affect our happiness and just sort of psychological wellness. So we've got that. We've got loss of safety, right? Where now when we go out, we're all wearing masks. And you have that sense with people in the grocery store now. You're, you don't mm-hmm. want to get close. And you hear stories where, um, you know, people are dying. We're, we're, you know, having empathy for these people, but, and you have babies and you have, and that makes you feel scared because you're like, wait, I thought I understood, wh- you know, who coronavirus is going to, you know, really yeah. 
not that that makes it, but that makes us feel unsafe. Like we, we can't figure it out. Wait, how long is it going to last? How long, like, what does this mean? We have a loss of control, but then to make it doubly hard, we've got the micro and the micro is like what's happening in our homes. It's like, wait, our relationships feel stressed Our coping. We're running against it, running up against each other while we're coping. You know, um, we've got like a loss of routine, a loss of freedom, all of a sudden, you know, we've got also um, a loss of social support, which we turn to when things are hard. And mm -hmm. it's just extremely unique. And it's really hard on the brain because we've got the meta, but we've also got the micro. And so what we also are joined with is this sense of like extreme fight or flight, which we know, you know, increases cortisol it you know drops your IQ it's this emergency response and many of us are living it all day long just moving from right mm -hmm. so you've got that going on which triggers our reactive self right yeah. and then you've got this other part which is grief and grief is like the opposite energy it's like heavy it's loss oriented it's confusing right disorienting so we've got both and we're trying, and we're dealing with more. We're like trying to homeschool children or dealing with, you know, so it's a lot. And you can combine that with sleep trouble. <laughs> All that is like a magic little, you know, concoction for not sleeping. And you've got just, I tell my clients, it feels like a lot because it's a lot. Like we're, we're, we really are carrying a lot. And so I, I think within that scope, the first thing I just invite from my clients is to slow, slow down, to create space for yourself and for those you love. Because not only are you feeling this, so are your kids. So yeah. your kids have the meta loss and they also have the micro loss. They're all of a sudden like, where are my friends? I, you know, have lost this of a social component and teachers and right, right. and that loss of normal normalcy. So we're all kind of in it together, and that's also rare. And so that idea of kind of slowing down a bit, which can feel scary because we no longer have the distractions that keep us from our feelings. And we're not super, like most of us have not, I would say uh, we don't have awareness and we've not been supported to not only identify our feelings and know what we're feeling, but then to give voice to them and know what to do with that. We just... We don't, we haven't had that. Mm -hmm. And so, but I am going to, I still say I have a couple practices that sometimes my clients view as beneficial in working in spaces like that. But I invite that first, create space, create space, and then open yourself up to feelings because what that allows for is less resistance, right? Mm -hmm. What we fight, we strengthen. So we may not love this new reality, but if we fight it, it's more suffering. It's yeah. more suffering for us, more suffering for our kids. So mm -hmm. have you, have you noticed any positive takeaways so far? I've had some and like, um, you know, I'm really trying to focus on the positive aspect of all this, but I think at the same time, there's a part, part of me that feels guilty for trying to find positive in this, you know, because <laughs> oh. it's like, I should be sad and upset with everybody else. And, and, you know, for people who really are experiencing some major loss, I should be feeling that, um, 
sadness for them. Like, I think that's where I get confused when it comes to compassion. Um, like how to, how do you um, hold space for people that are going through real challenges right now, but also mm. a place of positivity and not allow yourself to go down. It feels almost insensitive to find positives in this situation at times, you know, but I, I it's yeah. the only way I can feel like my own personal well-being is if I can find, see all the good in this, but it feels, it feels bad to do that. Yes. <laughs> you know? Well, the first place I kind of love to start is in the loss part, because what happens when we move toward loss is it naturally will move through us and give birth, right? Mm -hmm. So if we don't actually start with the loss, it's much more difficult to naturally gravitate to an organic process of, wait, what was birthed in that process, right? Because that's what loss does. Loss points us to that which we value and that which we love. That is what loss is all about. And that's really clarifying. It's a that clarifying is. process. I've never heard that. Say that so, again. Say that again. That grieving and loss always bring us back to what we value most and oh. what we love most in life. It mm -hmm. clarifies us, right? And it brings us back to those core things that are important. So if you skip that, you, you actually skip that insight. You skip right. that opportunity. Oh, that's right? so good. Yeah. So it's like that is a way to actually really love and appreciate the grieving process. Because you yes. know that there's so much clarity and insight that comes from that, which I yes. never knew. So thank you for teaching me that. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's a hard sell. I mean, it's a hard sell to, and so I try to do it in a way, for example, if you kind of just say to people, yeah, feel sad, just really just go there. People, that, that just is not something that's going to work super mm -hmm. well. So what I try to do is a pairing and the pairing is pleasure. Why is pleasure important? And what I mean by this, this is a ritual that I have a lot of my people that are, I can tell are, are uh, in that loss space. So feeling a loss of normalcy, feeling a loss of, I say, what I want you to practice is pleasure because pleasure brings us to presence. So pleasure can be like pleasure, a pleasure ritual would include anything and keep it simple and keep yourself away from shoulds for this activity. I want you just going to what you're drawn to, what really so hot baths, you know, a, a favorite food that you enjoy eating. Um, I would say, what else would be in there? It would be like reading a book. For me, I love sensory. So like listening to birds, going outside and feeling the sun. What does it do? It anchors you in why and reminds you of why it's good to be alive. Sometimes we lose that when we're feeling burdened right? When we're carrying a lot. So that brings us a, a sense of presence. So anything that kind of listening to music, listening, anything that brings you pleasure, please try and do that as a daily practice. Pick it out, right? And then pair it with a processing. Why do we pair pleasure with processing? We want the grief to move. We don't want it sticking inside. We don't want to be carrying around these. And this is really, really important for many of us that have never been taught how to process. So think of processing that pair as like taking a walk actually is processing. It moves energy through you without listening to anything. 
So it's more like you're aware of nature. You can actually think your thoughts and be aware of them, right? Yoga is that way, writing with prompts of your beautiful question. What has been birthed in me that I didn't know? What have I lost in this process? But having writing is something that works really well. Grief meditation is something I use for people who are feeling a lot of sadness that they have not accessed. And it usually allows people to feel and cry, right? In a safe space. Yeah. All that is processing. Those are the two things, pleasure and processing, that you can build rituals around, keep them simple. They shouldn't be more than 10 or 15 minutes for people because the, it, the main thing is to make them doable so that you can actually do it. We don't want to start with anything that you know, you're going to feel pressured or is just unachievable. So those are a couple of the things. And then from that, what happens is the birth emerges, mm. right? Just like in nature, just like it's everywhere. We have evidence of this is how it works, right? Where things that seem like they were gone are born again. They're there. And we are not unlike that. And Ooh, so that's comforting. A- I like that you said that and brought that to our attention because sometimes I think we do believe that things are lost forever, certain things. But if we just think of the cycle of life and the seasons of life, we know that spring and summer, they always come again. So although we may be experiencing like a winter at this time, like we know based on our whole life experience that summer always comes every year. Spring comes every year. So we know that we're going through you know, whatever we're dealing with right now, we're going through it right now, but we always come out of it. And that's yes. nature that's teaches us favorite. that. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite visuals, just nature. I love nature. Um, I is, know. I love all the pictures you post and the things like you're just always inspiring me to be outside and be present. And you call me just by reading what you post. I, I feel calmness. So oh, thank you for that. Mental well-being. <laughs> Yeah, I just love the idea of bulbs. You know, you plant them in the fall and they actually need the darkness. They need the cold. They need that span. And for months you look at it and it looks like it's dead. There's nothing that comes up. And so, but there's something that happens in that during that time that then in the spring allows for this kind of unveiling, but you've got to kind of wait for it. And it's got to have its own uh, process, I feel like. But um, and, it, you know, quite frankly, there may be experiences or wounds that are more manure for you. <laughs> They're more <laughs> compost, yeah. honestly. Where And don't be surprised. Like a wound can become something that's a gift. So um, I've talked about this in a, our Gift of the Mormon Faith Crisis podcast. But for me, one of my big wounds coming out of Mormonism was the fact that I lost my own voice, that I like abandoned myself at this young age of like 21. I don't know where she went. I don't know why. Um, yeah. I just feel like I took on a, an operating system and a structure that left me. Yes. And do you really? For sure. I feel the same way, like about the same age, about yes. 21, where I was like, all right, here you go. Here's my voice. Here's me. Like, I'm fully submitting to whatever the church tells me to do. Yeah. And so that voice got buried. Mm -hmm. And um, so the gift then becomes, it comes from the wound that I have come to now. And what I say is I will never leave you again, Margie. I won't. 
and I will use my voice. And that is the gift that came from a wound, right? It's a gift for me. I know that the, I will not be there again. I'm unwilling to be there. Because that, you were shown exactly what the opposite is. Maybe that provides you more clarity of what does that look like when you give away your power, when you lose yeah. your voice? Like, what does that look like? I think we need to also yeah. acknowledge that sometimes we have to have those experiences for us to have so much more clarity around what that looks like, what that feels like, what that means for me, what that does to me. And then you can come out of it with, like you said, like re recognizing the gifts in that. You're like, oh my gosh, now I really know what, what that feels like. I don't like yes. it. So I'm not going to so do true. that again. It's so true. It's like now I have a commitment yeah. to myself that was birthed from that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So once you deal with the grief and see it as a positive, is there... Um, like a next step, it felt like you were going to share like the next step or something else that you wanted to go into. Yeah. So by the way, this practice is, you know, something we will likely be doing as you pointed out for the rest of our lives, right? We will repeatedly be in groundlessness. And so these are tools that as we, and, and by the way, it's very normal for people to have a sense of compounded grief for, for this time to bring up the grief of, for example, a faith transition. Right. Yeah. To remind you of how that felt. You'll now have a compounded experience because it'll be like, yes. oh my gosh, it's happening again. Here uh -huh. it goes. Or, right? So yeah. expect that and really you know, love yourself in that and, and try to recognize how far you've come. You know? and, and remember the tools you used then. Mm -hmm. and allow them to come up again here and then really just have a, a lovely less judgmental relationship and more of a noticing relationship about how you're coping right mm -hmm. and if your default is to go to kind of coping uh that is birth from wounds which is what we all do so it's very normal um and so that noticing and saying is this serving me is mm -hmm. this script is this story? Is this, is it reflective of me? And that takes awareness. Right. But once you practice that awareness around your coping, you begin to rebuild. And that's the creative work. It mm -hmm. is you actually choosing how you want to respond in your life, what kind of life you want to build here in coronavirus, what rituals and grounding practices you want to bring to the situation, and again, what you want to let go of. Because there may be things from your old life, right, that mm -hmm. were serving you then. And they no longer have a place in this new life right? yeah. where we are. And this is where we live a conscious, mindful life. And it can feel overwhelming. So stay on those soothing practices. But this is where the good stuff is. Right. Yeah. So do you feel like, like when you say groundlessness, do you feel like that? Because I also feel like we're trying to feel grounded, but also be ready and willing to have groundlessness. So where do those two things come together? Like, is it like a, a ebbs and flows kind of thing? Or is it, should we always be in a state of um, accepting groundlessness? Like, should we always feel groundlessness? But I'm like, but then we want to feel grounded at the same time. Because, and is that part of a cycle, you know, where you're feeling mm. groundlessness and then, then you get yes. you come back down and you feel grounded? 
Yes. To me, I'm trying to apply that to like certain beliefs. You know, sometimes our beliefs can be what makes us feel grounded. But at the same time, I don't ever want to get stuck in any certain belief. And I know the importance of allowing that feeling of groundlessness and how empowering and liberating that can be if we accept it and allow it. But yeah, like explain how those two work. Is it like a up and down cycle kind of thing? Yeah, well, I think it's like so many things in life, right, where you have two kind of, they seem oppositional, and yet they still, they both exist, right? Yeah, so yeah. yes, there are ways that we can have moments of grounding. It's important. Breath work is grounding. That's why meditation, one thing that's, it, that works for me, and it's important for everyone to have like a, their own discovery of what works for them. But, you know, meditation is grounding because guess what? I'm stressed, I sit. I'm, my mind is going nuts, I sit. I sit. And the thing that's grounding about that is it's all about me and my breath. And I'm just aware of what my brain's doing. Uh, So there are things you can do. Breath work alone is really um, helpful for people. It's basically presence. Presence is the groundingness. It's that we're, where do we live? Here, this moment, always. That is where the full living experience is, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, we ultimately will meet with the groundlessness of life, the fragility we all work, we all walk with. But I also tend to think that requires an openness, a flexibility and a resilience. Mm -hmm. And that's a muscle we can learn. It's not something you have or you don't. And so what we can learn to do is sort of free fall in groundlessness and also cope well and be open to our lives and be open to our experiences, right? Mm -hmm. Versus clenching and wanting things to stop versus fighting against the inevitable, Mm -hmm. right? Things we will never be able to control, right? And the the dichotomy there is that that's, it gets smaller and smaller. Your world gets smaller and smaller as you do that, right? Trying to control, trying to have things be different. And it's incredibly stressful and it's not effective. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's much better. Like, how do I open? How do I recognize this is kind of part of life while also cultivating a sense that I can be okay? Right. And ironically, it's living through groundlessness enough times and emerging on the other side of that, that gives us that sense, right? Living through our fears, living through the things that if you had asked us 10 years ago, we would have said that would destroy me. Mm -hmm. I would never be able to live through that or, and we find we do. Yeah. And we don't just survive. We thrive and we're new and we're different people and our lives feel and reflect more of us. That's, I think, what informs us being able to cope through groundlessness because we've done it before. And on some level, we realize we can do it. It's not easy, but we don't fear it like we used to. Right. That's so true. I love that. We, it, I love that you said that resilience is a muscle. And it's kind of like an, an empowering thing to say because it's not like a gift that just some of us have like we all have it but it is it does take effort and work to build that resilience muscle yeah i like that what about um so let's end with some positive takeaways that you have discovered within you know being quarantined or um 
life shifting for all of us at this time. What are some positive takeaways or things that you're um, acknowledging and recognizing to be a gift as we go through the struggle? Mm, I love that. So some potential gifts that I've noticed in myself is that I have noticed my own, some of my own coping come up and it's allowed me to address it, to reframe it and to consciously choose a healthier way, not just for me, not just in my connection to self, but actually in my relationships. So that's what turns me on. That's what like makes me feel alive is this sense that I am more than my programming. I am more than my blueprint. I am more than this operating system built from my experiences and wounds and beliefs over time. I love being able to choose. So that comes down to mantras for me. I've created mantras around like schoolwork for my son, which is really hard online. He, it is making it really difficult. And so having instead of it be something that's a deficit and a fear like oh my gosh you you know this could really blow up and this could really affect things long term and all those scripts of deficit and fear and rewriting and there are more important things than homeschooling going on right there's mm -hmm. grief work for our kids that we can embody and we can elicit and connect with and so some of those things how i cope uh, oftentimes, um, I listened to a Brene Brown um, podcast recently on people who overfunction in crisis and underfunction. Oh. Definitely an overfunctioner. And the idea <laughs> of overfunctioning is you do instead of feel, do instead of feel, do instead of feel. So that awareness that I've been able to bring to some of that my coping and then to rewrite has made me feel empowered. It's given me a sense of empowerment at a time where so much I really can't control, you know? Mm -hmm. I think also releasing the future, ironically, with plans or has made me more centered on just this moment, on this present time, which I think that reminder I could probably have for the rest of my life mm -hmm. and need it. Um, and so that's been beautiful. A couple new rituals have been birthed during this time. I love rituals. I love kind of things that put me in a great mind space. So I added my, to my meditation a couple of reading books. So like a, a New Earth is in there, The Awakened Family is in there, and it just gets me in a brain space that allow, it like literally changes my energy and framing for how I parent and how I want to connect with my life right now. Yeah. So yeah, there's been a lot of kind of births during this process that I feel like I wonder, not to mention essentialism, how much life has pared down? Like, what do we need? What do we not need? Hasn't that become mm -hmm. really clear? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kind of in a new way. Yeah. Um, it's like, wow, I can really do without that. I created something instead. My workout routine. I don't need a gym. My, you know. Yeah. I, we've had to kind of be creative. And so all that stuff is, it makes you feel alive. It makes you feel resilient. It makes you feel creative. Like you're part of this process of life. Yeah. Right. I love that. I, I love what you said about the, you know, you're less focused on the future, like your future plans. And I've really noticed that in myself as well, because we have no future plans right now. Like there's nothing. And it's kind of really opened up this space of 
first of all, it's helped me to live more in the present moment. But even when I'm ta- I'm thinking about like, where do I want to go with my podcast or like different goals that I've had around, you know, um, my podcast or my blog and all that, I, I feel like it has helped me to stop obsessing over the future outcome of, you know, oh. my goals. But I've also um, opened up this really, uh, this space of creativity that I was never aware of before. It's more like just open right now. Like I feel it being open. The um, little bits and pieces of ideas are coming to me, but it's way different than what I had imagined even a year ago, like what my goals or plans were like a year ago. And it's really cool to open up that space and to finally have um, allow new ideas to come in. Like what I'm really trying to focus on right now is allowing something totally new to come to me. Like something that I've never seen before in the past. Like we love learning from people of the past and people who have gone before us or did things that we wanted to do. And they've already created this thing that we've already, that we want to create. And so we learn from people of the past or who who have done it before. Mm -hmm. And I want to live right now. I'm really trying to experiment with what does that look like to remove anything I've ever known before, anything I've ever been taught my whole life or from any book I've ever read because I love to learn. So it's not like I want to be like, I want to just, you know, not learn anything, but it's like, I want to try out. What does it feel like to be in that space of removing myself from anything I've ever known before? Mm -hmm. What new and exciting and amazing idea is going to come to me that I've never seen before, something I've never been able to imagine before. And I want to, and I think, not just for me personally, but like collectively, I think we are on the verge of creating something together, unlike anything we've ever seen or done before in history. And that kind of gives me a sense of excitement and open-mindedness because I'm not searching for something that has already been done before or not trying to repeat something that has already been done before or that somebody has taught me to do. I want to see what is going to emerge from this experience. What is being birthed? What is this new thing that we are about to experience that none of us have ever seen or witnessed or learned before in history? And keeping me excited and open to new ideas to come through. And I think if we can all, I think that's what this, I think this is happening with a lot of us. And I think we're learning how to be Mm co-creators and, and work together on things. And yeah, I'm just excited to see what new thing is going to come forth and what things will be in five to 10 years and how we'll look back and be like, oh my gosh, I never would have imagined we'd be doing things this way, you know? Something I love that. I love that. And I've heard that so much, even from when you take the medical system or the medical field, doctors are saying, this is changing how we relate to our patients, how we, so it happens on all levels, but I love that reframing. That is like such a healthy, beautiful, empowered reframing away from unknown 
which is like an evolutionary psychology. The unknown is scary and undeniably just a threat. It can only be a threat. (laughs) You move toward like, I'm open. I'm actually curious. I'm curious about what this will be, right? And that's what I hear from you, which is lovely. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Margie. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I love everything that you do. Like you are one of those people that just inspire me daily. Like just the things that you put out are just very um, grounding for me. Like I just feel a sense of just looking at the pictures that you post or just anything that you write. It's just, um, just does something for me. And I appreciate the things that you do. And I know you help a lot of people with your life coaching and I just think that you're an amazing woman and I wanted to have you on the podcast because I really admire you and I look up to you so much. So thank you for this. Absolutely. It's been a gift for me, Crystal. And you know what? You inspire me right back. So I love it how that works. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Wannabe Balanced podcast. Get access to free resources available at wannabebalanced.com. If you love the show, then leave a review or share it with a friend. Until next week.